Well, our passage this evening begins in chapter 11, verse 7, and we'll read through verse 8 of chapter 12. As you recall from last Sunday evening, we saw the burden of this book and the conclusion of the matter stated at the end of chapter 12, that every area of human life under the sun, if approached without reference to God and eternity, is ultimately vanity of vanities, striving after the wind, whether it be education or enjoyment or pleasure or employment, enrichment, and enterprise, none of them can give real meaning and purpose and significance and lasting satisfaction in life until you come to know the one who stands, as it were, above the sun and over the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book at the end introduced him as the ultimate preacher who brings words of truth and delight to you, uh, the shepherd who firmly fixes his personal dwelling in you by his word and spirit, and the judge who will judge every secret thing on the last day, but who nonetheless makes known to you in the gospel the pathway of life and leads you in the way everlasting. And so life makes sense and begins to hold together when you come to know Jesus Christ. Well, having seen that, having seen the essence and thesis of this book, we're going to now work our way backward, and we'll read this penultimate section that begins in chapter 11, verse 7. And before we hear uh, God's word, uh, let's once again pray to God and seek his help and blessing. Uh, let's look to our God together. Heavenly Father, we uh, rejoice in your word. Uh, it is true, and it truly uh, imparts joy and light uh, in our hearts whenever it is opened in the spirit. And we pray that under its ministry, you would make each one of us wiser unto salvation. I pray that we would be taught of you tonight and you would make us as a result more skillful in negotiating life in a fallen world uh, as your people. Uh, fill our souls and hearts with good things tonight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. Hear God's word. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain or evil from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, 
and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden ball is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Thus far this reading in God's holy word. Why is Florida such a popular and attractive destination at this time of year? Uh, we know that a whole industry and a lifestyle pattern around retirement and vacation have developed around that southward migration. Even in our own midst, I think half the congregation will have had a stay of some duration in that sunshine state this winter season. And you ask the question, why? And I think a biblical answer for that existence of that particular phenomenon is given, at least in part, in verse 7 of our text, where the preacher says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Uh, The cold and dark winter in northern Minnesota makes us crave more sunshine and sunlight, and many of us in winter have to take extra dose of vitamin D. Many of you are seasonally affected, I know that, and we naturally long for summer days with more light outside. When the day is longer, when it's warmer, you get to soak in the sunlight. There's something sweet and pleasant about that. Uh, Verse 7 is so true. It is sweet and pleasant to see the sun. But if that's applied entirely uh, within the framework of work of life under the sun, uh, if that verse is applied in the context of life that has no reference point beyond the sun, then that too ultimately is vanity of vanities. Just think about what people live for, the highest aspiration and goal for people whose idea of sweetness does not transcend beyond the reference point of this earthly life. Uh, That's exactly what we see in society. People who live for retirement in some sunny uh, states or on sunny beach collecting seashells, as one famous preacher in our state of Minnesota once put it. That's what they regard as the ultimate happiness and pleasantness. And the perspective of the preacher here is that that is vanity of vanities. Although the sunlight is pleasant, to live for the maximization of sunlight and sunshine itself may even be vanity and vanities. But the gospel... Uh, has opened your eyes to see the light that is even more transcendent than the sun and even more sweeter and pleasant than the sunshine. On the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus saw the light of his glory, and we read in Acts chapter 9 that he shined brighter than the noonday sun. That same light has shone also into your heart, believers, the light of Jesus Christ, whose face radiates with the light of the glory of God, who is described in the Bible as a son of righteousness that has risen with healing in its wings, in whose light you begin to see light, when that light begins to dawn on your soul, uh, we can say with verse 7 that it is truly sweet and pleasant. It's not just a natural eye that taste the sweetness and pleasantness, but when Christ begins to shine into your life and your soul, uh, you have come to know what is truly sweet and pleasant. And that's the answer to every human quest and longing 
that the book of Ecclesiastes explores. As the Apostle John puts it in his prologue to John's Gospel, in Christ's life, and that life was the light of man and the darkness has not overcome it, and in Christ, you have seen that light of life. Now, in Christ, of course, you can truly appreciate the warm sunshine of Florida or California or the Mediterranean, whatever that is. It is a gift from the Lord. But because you are in Christ, you can taste the sweetness and pleasantness of life, even in the dead of northern Minnesota winter or in any or every seemingly harsh circumstance. Even when you are confronted with the bitterness and unpleasantness of dark and difficult days, which will be many, the writer says in Ecclesiastes, in this fallen world. And that's the burden of this book, that all the days of life under the sun for believers in Jesus Christ can be sweet and pleasant because of our knowledge of Christ. And with that in mind, the preacher, you notice, issues three exhortations in our passage this morning. Exhortations are particularly and especially directed to the young people in mind, but also even more applicable, I would say, to the elderly uh, people in our midst. And the exhortations all begin with a letter P uh, for your benefit. You notice uh, beginning in uh, verse ni- 8 and verse 9 of chapter 11, uh, rejoice. That's the first exhortation. Oh, young men in your youth, if a person lives many years, verse 8, let him rejoice in them all. And then verse 10, the second exhortation, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain or evil from your body. And then verse 1 of chapter 12, the well-known verse to most of us, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And so I want tonight to consider with you these three calls, rejoice, remove, and remember, and something of a dream text for any preacher. It's all there for you in the text. I hope that it will be just as helpful and clear to you tonight. And I want to explore these three R's together with you. The first R is the call to rejoice. And the thought there is that when Christ is your light, you can rejoice in all your days, whether they be many or few, whether they be days of health or the days of darkness, whether they be days of prosperity or days of trial. You can rejoice when Christ is your light in all the days of your life. Look again at the preacher's counsel in verse 9. The preacher says, young man, Rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in the fact that the prospect of life ahead of you and joy and blessing in store for you are all in front of you. So let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth when you consider life. But the preacher goes on to expound what that is going to look like. In the middle of verse 9, uh, he says, You rejoice always uh, in this manner that you walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Uh, that's how you're going, you're going to rejoice in all the days of your life. Now, if you stop and think about it, that sounds rather like a very secular advice. If you read that verse again closely, it sounds like the preacher is saying, follow your own heart. Walk in the ways of your heart. Walk in the sight of your eyes. And that indeed would be a secular advice apart from Christ. That would be about the most foolish way to live for a man without Christ. Because without the light of God, The heart will lead to the ways of sin and pleasure. The eyes will lead to pride and lust. And the highest form of enjoyment, the highest highest expression of that kind of living 
for someone who only knows the sweetness of the natural sun on earth would be to walk in the ways of his heart to follow the side of his eyes and say with the secular philosopher, let us eat and drink and enjoy and be merry for tomorrow we die. And in the end will come the judgment, but it'll be tomorrow. And without the light of God and without Christ, uh, that will be the mantra for uh, people living under the sun. Now, the verse 9, the Hebrew has a definite article when it says, for all these things God will bring you into the judgment. Uh, whatever days you have on earth, however you live, in the end, you will face the judgment. But unlike unbelievers in darkness, if Christ is your light, then this is the most wholesome advice for you. You can truly rejoice and follow the desires of your heart that he puts within you because when Christ is your light, you will want to walk in the ways of Christ who indwells you and rules over your heart. And you will want to follow Christ, whom the eyes of your heart have been enlightened to see. And by faith, you indeed see what is invisible and live for it. And you can rejoice as you delight yourself in the Lord all your days. As you seek him first and honor him, you discover that he gives you the desire of your heart and fulfills them. All your days, Christ will fill your heart. And so rejoice, young men. Rejoice, people. Let your heart cheer you. However many years you have, rejoice in all of them. And this is simply the wisdom literature way of saying what we read in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say uh, rejoice. Because Christ is your light. He fills all your days. Uh, You can rejoice. And you can truly set him as the uh, desire, chief desire and ambition of your heart. And walk in the desires of that heart. And you will know the joy and blessing of such life. So that's the first uh, exhortation. Rejoice in all your days. Then secondly, in verse 10, uh, we read the second R, remove. If Christ is your light, then you also remove something from your life. And the preacher said you remove vexation from your heart and you remove evil harm from your body. Now again, if um, secular people or people without knowledge of Christ read that verse, they will wholeheartedly agree with that logic. Of course, they want to be rid of whatever causes inward provocation, sorrow, stress, irritation, depression. They'll want to uh, deal with any kind of bodily decline and decrepitude. But how do people who do not know Christ seek to do that? How do they want to and seek to remove any vexation inwardly and any pain and evil and bodily decline outwardly? We see that all around in our society. People tend to turn to things, maybe substance abuse or drinks, even the online virtual reality offered on the Internet in order to drown out temporarily those vexations that weigh their heart. Some may even turn to things like aesthetics, organic food, the yoga mat, in order to fend off bodily harm and decline. They uh, they tend to turn to things. But if Christ is your light, then this verse is applied to you, first and foremost, uh, in terms of the will of God for your life, which is your sanctification. Uh, You first and foremost go on removing biblically the root cause of all of this, which is sin. 
you put away from your heart whatever uh, vexation you discover in terms of whatever angers or griefs or irritates and provokes the sin that so easily provokes God, uh, knowing that he has indeed removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. So you remove from your heart those vexations, and you also remove what brings evil and harm to the body. And think about uh, this verse in terms of the Hebrew mindset that is at work here. You remember how the psalmist frequently speaks of the bodily effects of sin in terms of the unconfessed, hidden, and undealt with sin causing pain in the bones and so forth. And so we see in this verse, for Christians, a call to separate themselves from sin, first and foremost, to remove that which causes body and soul harm and vexation. Uh, This is a verse that concerns both inner and outer aspects of human life, both the heart and the flesh, and removing obstacles to a fruitful and happy life. But also because Christ is your life and he is your light, then you can go on removing things that truly weigh heavily on your heart. The Bible calls you how to do that. You can lay all your anxieties and worries in this world upon him by means of prayer, knowing that he cares for you. You can bring all your burdens, all your distresses, and take shelter under his shepherdly, fatherly care. And you can also truly take care of your body, knowing that your body belongs to Christ and you have been bought with a price, and you can live saying with a psalmist, though my heart and my flesh may fail, but I discover God to be the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So here's a call to remove, and in Christ, if Christ is your light, then you have actually the gospel remedies and mechanisms whereby truly those things can be removed from you. Even the sin that is the root cause of all this and all the trials of life, uh, he has shown himself to be the refuge where you run into. Then finally, the third uh, exhortation we find uh, is found in the first eight verses and it's found at the very beginning of that section where the preacher says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And if Christ is your light, then you can remember the creator knowing that creator is also the one who saved you and died to give you eternal life. Now this is a call given, you'll go on to notice in verses 2 through 8, precisely because of the fleeting nature of human life. What follows in those verses are a poetic depiction of the frailty and brevity of human life. Uh, It's like an impressionistic rendering of all that the advancing age brings to human life with the decline of health and troubles of old age and so forth. And it's given here to highlight the fact that your life is like a mist that appears for a season and vanishes. It's not anchored in eternity. And notice how here the eschaton, the end, uh, is depicted as coming both for this world and for the individual. There are two eschatons at work in this section. Look down in verse 2. Uh, it's described both cosmically and meteorologically. In terms of the skies above, we see the darkening of the lights of creation. Sun, moon, stars, 
in contrast with the creation of Genesis 1, there's a darkening coming end of the creation. And in terms of the climate, the clouds, we read in verse 2, uh, still return even after the rain. Even after the rain, there's no sun. Clouds still return. It's all dark. And you can't turn back the clock. You can't look forward to renewal of youth and sunshine. Even after the Noah's flood, the judgment still awaits. And there's a cloud coming even after the rainfall. And these are images given to highlight the fact that the end is coming. And then verses 3 and five, three through 5, uh, the human body is pictured here and likened to a house. And look at the uh, analogy and simile here. Verse 3, the keepers of the house uh, in terms of the arms that will fail and the strong men that are bent, uh, perhaps depicting legs as the source of strength that are bent in old age, not working as well. And then the grinders cease because there are few. The teeth fall out in old age and there are few. And eyes are dimmed in terms of the windows and doors. The hearing is gone. And verse 5, in frailty in old age, strength is gone so that the grasshopper itself becomes like a burdensome weight. Such is the frailty of old age. And this is a poetic depiction of the this earthly house of the bodily frame all the way to death decaying and ultimately returning to dust. And as the writer concludes, the spirit returns to God who gave it. But that's the trajectory of human life. And without Christ, that will be it. Uh, you will be like a chandelier that burns with light for a season, but then falls to the ground and shatters, verse 6, when the silver cord is snapped and golden bowl is broken. You'll be like a, a wheel broken and jar shattered, the whole apparatus destroyed beyond repair, so that there is no use, no capacity for containing any water to give life. The point of all this is that death will come to all. According to the curse of Genesis 3, echoed in this verse, once young and strong, you will be getting older tomorrow. Ultimately, when death comes, the mourners will carry our bodies out for burial. That's what every single human person faces. But that's not the end of the story. And there uh, lies, uh, therein lies the significance of the uh, exhortation, remember your creator in the days of youth. Now, again, apart from Christ, this is something that people do in the natural order of creation. Even the founding of our nation is somewhat based on this verse, I would say. The Declaration of Independence. We enlist all the rights we have been naturally endowed by our Creator and so forth. People do pay attention to the Creator. But it is only in Christ that we discover the true solution and true remedy to the tragic decline of human life in the bodily frame. Christ has done something about it, hasn't he? The creator for whom and through whom all things were indeed created himself took on our frame and the creator became man and endured precisely what is written here. And Psalm 22 verse 15 speaks of Christ or, or speaking about Christ. In the words of Psalm 22 verse 15, we discover uh, Christ speaking these words, 
you lay me in the dust of death. You see what's going on there as Jesus Christ goes all the way to the cross to be our Redeemer. He himself is brought to the dust of death. He tasted death for his people. He has dealt with a curse and the last enemy. He has conquered death and rose again. And he's preparing for us an eternal way of glory. He is preparing for us an eternal home. And that's the creator that the gospel declares. And the writer, the preacher himself, Christ himself says, remember your creator. But that means for Christians for whom Christ is the light, uh, means you remember your creator who took on himself creatureliness in order to deliver you uh, from the ultimate frailty and brevity of life and to bring you to the joy of eternal life and hope of glory and so that you're not just a chandelier broken, something precious that is shattered in Jesus Christ. Uh, your life takes on a true eternal significance and meaning. And this is a call indeed to remember your creator is a call essentially to faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, to remember even when you are young, to believe in the creator who made you, who died for you, who rose again to give life that is truly life. And you do that from your youth. And that's going to be the best way to live on earth because you will have been settled in the issues of eternity. Uh, you will live well because you are prepared to die well. Because indeed to you to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's the ultimate antidote and remedy to the frailty and brevity of human life that is likened to a, a falling house. And in Christ, we know that even when this earthly home is destroyed, uh, we have a building from God, house not made with hands but eternal in the heavens. While even in this tent we groan, while we face many dark and difficult days in this fallen world, uh, we are anchored in that eternal hope, so we rejoice. And we continue to remove things that are contrary to our eternal calling, and we continue to believe in our Creator, who is our Shepherd, who is our Savior, who will carry us all the days of our life, even until death and into eternity. What a thing to remember. What a thing to live with. And that's the key to a life that is truly blessed and fulfilling. Or may we all be led into that life that is truly life, which we only discover through our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together.